Good morning. Let's stand together and pray before I start. Father, help. Amen. You can sit down. Um, I want to try to talk you into this morning the idea that you can change the world. And uh, that's, that's a hard sell. You can change the world. And that you and I matter. That's also a hard sell. Because it's so easy to feel like cellophane. Sort of see-through-ish. Nobody really notices us. We're sort of insignificant. And yet we're part of this story that lays claim to the idea that people are intentional. Paul is preaching to some pagan people. They weren't even inside the Jewish tradition, so they were sort of distant from God in that kind of way of thinking. And yet Paul, in looking at them, says to them, you know, God chose the exact time in history when you would be born and the place in the world in which you'd be born. He's saying and declaring that God was very intentional about people. In the Psalms, the psalmist actually claims that God is all about us, that he thinks about us, that when we are inside our moms being formed, that God was actually in there forming us, creating how we look, creating um, our personalities, the blends that we have, the, giving us the, the things that make us laugh, the things that make us cry, influencing that. Orienting us, creating us in a way that we'd be drawn to certain kinds of people, have certain kinds of likes and other kinds of dislikes. And all of that was part of a plan that he had for us. And the claim actually is, it's so audacious. The claim is, is that there's an actual book in that Psalm 139 that says, there is a book written for all of my days before one of them came to be. Which is to say that God has imagined you already being here. He imagined you being here before you came here. And that you showing up in the earth may have been a surprise to your mom and dad, (laughs) but it wasn't a surprise to God. And that you are a dream come true from God. Now, the problem is, is that we, we, in our kind of way of thinking, we think if that were true, there certainly would be more evidence, right? That somehow we would be amazingly stick out beautiful or stick out talented or stick out something, you know, greatly gifted, having amazing things happening in our lives. And yet for most of us, our lives are so ordinary. And uh, we think that making a difference in the world, it, it doesn't seem to make sense. I mean, because doesn't world changing demand that we are somehow extraordinary or extraordinary? And when I look at me, I don't seem all that extraordinary, right? I, I think the problem is, is that we put ourselves into the center of the issue. We try to think, we think in ourselves, just in American culture, we tend to think, you know, because we, we're a culture of idols, American idols, right? We, we tend to think that the only people that really matter are the people that are rich and the people that are beautiful, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, we, we think, if I'm, if I'm supposed to change the world, certainly my gifts should be prominent and, and I should have these amazing opportunities and my capacity should be all jacked up and my strengths should be massive, Right? And uh, to change the world, you certainly would need all those things to be at play. But what if that's the wrong way to think about changing the world? 
What if we, um, what if we're looking at it wrong? What if we're looking at it falsely? What if American mindset about fame and strength and changing the world is not the same way God thinks about it? Um, to get at what I'm trying to say, let me cite another example about spirituality. In Christian tradition, the Protestants among us believe that basically when salvation, when talking about spirituality and starting spiritual activity, that the, the, the sort of the tension for the Protestant is, am I saved? Right? And so the question is, have I crossed this threshold of faith? Am I, the term we use often is born again, so that I'm in and that I'm saved. Spirituality starts there for the Protestants for the most part. For the Latin Catholics, the, the Roman Catholics, and other high church tradition, they, they don't tend to think about salvation or their spirituality in terms of, am I saved? But they would think more in terms of, am I saying yes to God's salvific work in my life? Am I being saved? So the tension isn't, am I saved? The tension is, am I being saved? Am I cooperating with God and participating in what he wants me to participate in in order to be saved? But the focus is still on me being saved by God. I'm the center object. Me being saved, am I saved or am I being saved? What I love about the Eastern Orthodox, they come at it from a completely different direction. Because for the Eastern Orthodox, they're not thinking... Am I saved or am I being saved? What their question that they ask when they think about spirituality is this. When you look at my life, am I reflecting into my life the fact that Jesus Christ is risen and his life is being expressed through me? He is risen. He is risen indeed. That comes out of the Eastern Orthodox Church. The big issue for them is he's alive, but is there any evidence in my life? That he is alive. This is the heart of the spirituality for the for, for these folks. And the question I think is: what if what if changing the world or living in a way that matters is less about the kind of gifts that I have or the opportunities that I have or the successes that I have or me being noticed by others? What if it's less about that than it is about that in whatever kind of gifts I have, whatever kind of opportunities I have, however I'm noticed, is Christ seen? If we switch it, then it isn't about me, it's about him. And that if that's true, changing the world isn't about me changing the world, coming at you with my gifts and my power and my greatness. And it's more about God humbly coming to God and saying, God, would you splash into my life with these little kids you gave me? And will you splash into my life with this job that I have? And will you splash through my life? Will you be seen through my life as I engage with these people that I know? And it becomes about him. See, one thing that's a little disturbing is that, <laughs> well, it's not disturbing, it's kind of comforting, kind of disturbing, but it's this idea that God really made you on purpose like you are. Now, you could be really hacked at God for that because you don't like you. But what if he did it on purpose because he created you to be in places others can't possibly fit? And that he has a plan that we're all connected to one another. I watched this CNN outtake thing years ago when they had the, every half hour they had a, uh, you know, the news running back then in the 90s, whatever. And, uh, uh, and, and I'm watching this outtake. They usually did like a feel-good piece as they went out. And it was a, it was a, it was a uh, piece on this uh, guy in Japan who had set up one million dominoes. 
One million. And this big, big, uh, um, you know, audit, or what do they call those things? The arena thing. And um, he set them all up. And, and what they did was they saw, you know, people would gather and they watched this. He pushed the first set of, the first domino and they go, you know, so the outtake was them going through that whole thing. Well, as I'm watching this outtake, my evil mind thought, what if somebody had gone in in the middle of the night and pulled out like two of those? And he gets all the way like halfway through and all of a sudden everything stops. Oh, right? Because somebody messed up and the whole thing had to be set up again. Sometimes I wonder, because we don't think we matter, that we just step out. And even though we're just a part, a a specific part, that all that God set up goes, and it all has to be set up again because we don't take ourselves. Seriously. I wonder how many of God's dreams have been aborted because of us thinking we're nothing because it doesn't look to us like we're all that much. And understand, God could easily make you all that much. I mean, he could. I mean, he's, I, I was driving one day from, and we were in Wisconsin as the first church I was pastoring and it was a small church. It was about, well, it was about 700 people. Six or seven hundred people, and and but it was a big church for that town, right? Because that town, eighteen thousand people, the largest evangelical church was about a hundred, so it was like a big church in that little town, and and so I'm driving up to the corner, and I'm I'm I'm, I'm I, I pulled up to red light, and there was a, there was this lady that was coming across with a cane, and as she's walking across, my thought wasn't you know I I I, I love old people, but I I, I, I my thought was. Because I have to go. I was in a hurry. I was supposed to be somewhere. And so she's crossing. And I'm thinking, she's not, I don't know if she's going to cross. I mean, this is where my mind was. And I'm watching the light thinking. And I kid you not, in the middle of that little whatever that was, evil little moment in my head, I, I, I heard the Holy Spirit. And here's what I heard. You know, I could touch her and make her the pastor of the church you pastor. My response was, is that supposed to make me feel better? <laughs> but, but, but do you remember the story of Nebuchadnezzar where he thought by his own power and his own greatness he had arrived at this place and the scripture says that God said, I'm going to t- take away your power and you're going to walk around like a bird for seven years. And he went insane for seven years. He was kind of crazy and he looked like, a, you know, his hair all grew out and he was just kind of cast aside. And then at the end of seven years, he came to himself and entered back into his kingdom. And he makes a statement. He says, now I understand that God is the God of the great and small, that God is the one who can make anyone what they are. And that it's his kingdom and his reign. It's not about human strength and human power. See, God could make you amazing. Right now, in some way that makes you stick out and influence all kinds of... If you're not, there's probably a reason. Which, on one level, encourages me to say, you know what? I need to be okay with my lot, how he's made me. There's a verse in the Psalms that said, one of the ways that Israel would get in trouble is because they longed for something God hadn't given them. They longed for a lot, for space that they weren't given. We should learn to love our space, what influence we have, what strengths he's given us. We should learn to love them and celebrate them. Ask the question, God, would your kingdom come and your will be done in this context?
where I am in the world that I influence, would you come? That, I think, is where we start the issue of saying, you can change the world. So I want to give you four quick things about how you can do that. How you can change your world. How you can begin to see Jesus, his resurrection, flash through you and actually begin to transform the world that's around you and influence the world that's around you. And the first one is simply this. Let the gospel and God, the God of the gospel, mess with you. Think, God, am am I letting you mess with me? Am I letting the word of God mess with me and change me? The text we want to read is out of John 17. This is Jesus in praying to the Father. A little vignette, interesting. We're hearing his prayer. My prayer, he's praying, Father, is not that you take the followers, my followers, out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Protect them from the one that will pale. Remember, in Christian thought, evil is not so much a thing as the absence of a thing. It's kind of like cold. Cold isn't really a thing. Cold is what? Absence of heat. And if you take away all heat and get to absolute zero, whatever that degrees is, 200 something below zero, if you, get, if, you, if, if, you, if you go to absolute zero, you can't, after you take all heat away out in space, you can't add cold Why? Because cold isn't a thing. It's the absence of a thing. Evil isn't a thing. It's the absence of good. And so he's saying, keep them, protect them from the one, talking about the satanic being and the force of the demonic or whatever all that is. We don't understand all that. But it pales the good. When we get close to the evil one, somehow the goodness of our lives begins to rust. So keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. And then he uses a big word here. He says, sanctify. Everybody say sanctify. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is the truth. The word sanctify actually just simply means to set apart or to move, to make different. If I was going to bring one of you guys from the congregation up to here, I would sanctify you from the congregation and bring you up here in the front on the stage. That motion, that setting apart to is what sanctify means. So in other words, what Jesus is saying is, Father, we've got these people in the world that are following me. Let's get them to a place they're not right now at. Let's move them. Which means that God, when you begin to follow Jesus Christ, it isn't that you're just supposed to stay the same way you are or that you're just saying, God, come in my life and fix everything. To follow Jesus means God is going to mess with you. He's going to bring you places that you're not. He's interested in changing us. There's a, in Isaiah, the prophet is speaking for God and God is speaking through the Isaiah and saying, hey, guys, <laughs> your thoughts are not my thoughts. And your ways are not my ways. And as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my thoughts and my ways above yours. So what I'm calling you to do is to change your ways, change your thoughts. Anybody know what that, what what another word for change is? Repent. Repent just simply means to turn around in your thinking and to turn around in your actions. And so he's saying, I want to mess with you. I want to make you different. I want you to be not who you just are right now, but someone else. So at the very start of Christian faith, at the very start of spirituality, God is out to wreck your life. To change your life, to make you think differently about money and about sexuality and about uh, fear and about uh, being rejected and about all the stuff that happens in life. God wants us to think differently. And when he changes how we think, all of a sudden, we can start influencing the world. So he says, sanctify them 
by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. Remember, Jesus comes into the world to reflect the Father. We're sent into the world to reflect the Son. For them, but this is what I want to point out. Jesus said, okay, for them, the people that are following me, the people I want to be changed, I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. See, what he's saying is he's saying, listen, Father, I want to be involved in changing them. I want to be involved in making them different. I want to be involved in changing the world that I'm in with these people I'm with. But in order to change them, I want to make sure that I myself have been changed by what I'm trying to change them with. The law of leadership and spirituality is not that's the way to go. It's let me show you the way to go. It's you take the road. It's not that you point the way. It's you go the way. And what Jesus is saying is, is, as I sanctify myself, then they too will be truly sanctified. The idea it should be is when you look at people around you, you should be asking the question, do I want to change those kids that God gave me? Do I want to be able to be a part of seeing my spouse change? Do I want to be a part of seeing the people I work with actually change? The friends that I have to see change in their lives? And if you want to see them change, the idea isn't to try to force the issue. It's for you to be changed more yourself. You start with you. In 1 Timothy, Paul is talking to Timothy. He's a young buck and he's a young pastor and he's trying to influence his church. And he's trying to influence the city he's part of. And Paul tells him, until I come, Timothy, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture. So scripture has to be part of your life. Preaching and teaching. Don't neglect the gift which is given you through a prophetic utterance or message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. And then he says, be diligent about these things. Be diligent about scripture. Be diligent about teaching. Be diligent about these ideas. So that every, and, and give yourself, give yourself wholly or completely to them. Why? So that everyone may see your progress. See, Paul's trying to tell him, you want to change the world, Timothy? Then let, let this message you're part of and this God that you're part of totally and radically give yourself wholly to him. Give yourself wholly to the, to the scriptures so that everyone will see your personal progress. Because changing the world demands you change yourself first. And he says, watch your life and doctrine closely. <laughs> when I was starting as a pastor, I thought God wanted me to watch everyone else's life and their doctrine closely. When I first had my children, I thought God wanted me to watch their lives and their doctrine closely. Well, let me tell you what you're doing. You know, see, if you're not careful, you'll think your job is to fix everyone with ideas that you have that haven't been worked into your own soul. Right? You want to fix your spouse. Right? You want to fix the people you work with and make them more a certain way instead of understanding. Look at if you want the law here is if you want to change the world, whatever you're trying to change them with, make sure you change, let that change you. If you want to see more love reflected in people around you, make sure you walk in love more. If you want to see more justice coming out around the people that you're working with, make sure that you let justice have a greater rule in your own life. Because if you persevere in this and watch yourself and doctrine closely, persevere in them, because if you do, watch, you will save both yourself and your hearers. See, what he's saying is, look, at, there's a lot God needs to mess with in our lives. And if you want to mess with other people with what, with what you want to see change with, you had better let God and his word mess with you.
When you face, here's this really uncomfortable text that I really don't like, but I got to read it anyway. It's Jeremiah 1. This is, then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth, Jeremiah says, and he says to me, now I have put my words in your mouth. Well, that sounds wonderful, but watch the words. See today, I appoint you, Jeremiah, over the nations and the kingdoms, here's your ministry, to uproot, tear down, destroy, and overthrow. And then, what? Build and plant. How many of you would rather just have God build and plant? How many of you would love to say, God, here's my relationship with my adult children. Would you please build and plant it? Or God, would you, here's my financial situation and my career path. Would you build it and plant it? Right? Or God, here's my relationship that's a little bit rocky with my spouse. See, we just need to build and plant here. That's what we want. I mean, that's what you want. That's what I want. But what God, two-thirds of God's ministry in your life is destructive. Because if, you're gonna, if he's going to move in your financial life, he's probably going to have to first uproot, tear down, destroy, and overthrow what you think about money. If he's going to build a friendship, he's probably going to, before he builds it and plants it, he's going to have to uproot, tear down, destroy, and overthrow how you see friendship. So the ministry of God in your life, if you want to change the world, you've got to start with you. Number two, if you want to change the world in which you live, you need to not only let the gospel and God change you so that you can affect other people, you need to let people mess with you. You need to let the value and the preciousness of people in your world touch you. There's a text in 2 Corinthians 3 that says, Paul writes, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? Watch. You yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. You show that you are a letter from Christ. Living letters. People that are touched by the gospel become living letters. It's not just dead words, but they're words alive in a human experience, right? So your letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, you're written, your letters are written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, which is a reference to what? You saw the movie. The Ten Commandments. Remember? The, 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 the finger of God wrote on the stone, the Ten Commandments. And so the imagery Paul's using, he's saying, listen, you guys are a letter of Christ. God, just like he wrote on stone, that through our ministry, he's writing on your heart. He's doing, he's messing with you. He's transforming you. He's writing on your heart, not on tablets of stone, but the tablets of human hearts. It, it, this is seen in a story where Jesus is walking with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And the scripture says in that story, this was after the resurrection, that he prevented them from recognizing him. And he's talking to them and explaining the scriptures to them. They get to the end of the journey in Emmaus and he sits down with them. And as he picks up the bread to break it, it's a Eucharistic moment. He breaks the bread. And as he does, the scripture said their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And the minute they recognize him, poof, he disappears. How cool is that? Right? Bing, he's gone. I love that we get to believe this. But anyway. Anyway, he, he, the disciples looked at each other. Here's what they said. We're not our hearts burning in us while he was explaining the scriptures to us. In other words, something was going on more than what was going on. 
See, this is, this is what Paul is saying here. He's saying, listen, our ministry is that we do stuff, but it's not what we do. In fact, he goes on just a little bit later. We won't look at it, but he goes on. And he says, our confidence is not from ourselves as anything coming from ourselves, but our confidence is in God. He's the one that messes with you while we talk at you. I mean, all we do is talk and he messes with you. He writes in your hearts. How many times have you been in a situation or reading a text or hearing a sermon and something hits you that isn't even about what the person said? And he's going to go, hmm. Mm. And, and something gets messed with it and you start pondering it and a little rabbit trail in your soul. What is that? Has God writing on your heart? You little living letter, you. Right? Got writing on your heart. So Paul said, and here's what the point of this is, is Paul said, that's what this is about. The result of our ministry is God's writing on your heart. But watch verse two. You yourselves are our letter written on our hearts. Known and read by everybody. I remember reading this way back in the 80s as a young pastor. And I heard the Holy Spirit say, I really believe it was him. You want to influence people. You want to write on their hearts. You want them to be different. Because you're talking to them. He says, but you can never write on people's hearts by the Spirit. Until you allow the Spirit to write those people on your heart. You've got to see them before you see what you do for them. You've got to walk into a room instead of thinking, here I am, aren't you blessed? I'm amazing. Instead of thinking that, we should walk in a room and think, there you are. I'm the one who's favored because I get to be with you. If you learn to walk in a room and thinking, there you are, instead of here I am. You'll begin to be positioned to a place where the value of people written on your hearts opens the pathway for you to be used by God to write on their hearts, to bring change. But you've got to learn to value them. And and on simple bases like this, people aren't just who they are by what they believe. People aren't just who they are by how they dress. People aren't just who they are by what race, social, economic position they've been in, uh, what what political positions they they, they embrace, uh, lifestyles they live. That people are first the image of God. They're made in the, in the, the Latin phrase is imago Dei, the very image of God, which means every time you bump into someone, you're bumping into a likeness of God. And how, you, how do you treat that likeness? How do you respond to him or her is how you're responding to God. This is what John claimed. He said, if you don't love, if you claim to love God whom you see or whom you can't see, if you claim to know or love God who you cannot see, he said, the only way you can, or he, he didn't say it that way. What he said was, I'll get it right. I mean, this is my third time. Give me a break. If you cannot love a person that you can see, is how John says it, how can you say you love God whom you cannot see? Did I get it right? Something like that. In other words, how you love people is a reflection of how you're loving God. And the, and the people you love the least is really the, is, is an explanation of how much you love God. You can't say you love God if you don't love people you see. Why? Because they're the Imago Dei. They're the image of God. How, how do they hit you? How do, they, how do people... What kind of reaction do they cause in your heart? If you want to change the world, you've got to be wowed by people. 
And it's not only that they're the image of God, because images get marred, and lots of people have been marred. But it's, it's more than that. It's what are they worth? You know, I, we have coffee at the, uh, at the front. And uh, we have coffee cups. We buy these, and, and these tops we buy, and these little things, holders we buy. Uh, how many of you, even though this has worth, would not give me $750 for this? Let me see your hand if you will not give me $750. Okay, good, good. I've sold a bunch because you didn't raise your hand. But some of you, how many of you will never raise your hand no matter what we ask you? (laughs) You would not give me $750 for this. Why? It's not worth it. What are people worth to God? What did he pay for people? Well, we know he paid his son himself. People are worth God. People are worth Jesus to God. What are they worth to you? See, trying to figure that out and work that out in your own soul. I remember this, this, if you don't work that out, if you don't let people realize that the image of God and they're worth Jesus, you won't be able to impact their lives at all. When I was first wrestling through this in the early 80s, I, I, God was messing with me because I was such a punk. Well, I'm still a punk, but you know, I'm just a little less punky. But the point is, is that, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm in my own little world, and I'm, I oftentimes just get so centered and, and cavish and don't get into my space. You know, I'm kind of that kind of guy. But, but, but being a part of people's lives is actually getting out of your cave. Right, And so I, one particular day, God's dealing with me about people and how I'm treating them and these kinds of issues of loving them and speaking to their lives and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm on a plane and I'm in Chicago and the plane is totally packed except for the two seats next to me. And I'm loving that the two seats next to me are open because I'm having to study because I'm going to be speaking at an event and I hadn't had a lot of time to get in my cave. And I thought, yes, I got a little cave time on this plane. It's sweet. The door's about to shut. It's really late. And all of a sudden, right before the door is shut, I hear... Down, coming down the, what do they call that thing? Jet, 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 what? Jetway. Coming down the jetway. You know, there's people, big steps, loud. And I'm thinking to myself, what's that? And then the horrible thought hit me. The passenger sitting next to you. No, my pretty. You know, I was like freaking out. And sure enough, they come through the door and they're these, they're from the land of the giants. These two big people, a guy and a gal, and they're drunk. Or at least almost drunk. And they're laughing, they're coming in, and, and I'm thinking, oh, yeah. And by the time I said no, they were at my thing, stepping over me. They didn't even give me a chance to get up and get my stuff. They're stepping over me. I'm thinking, oh, okay. And they get in, they sit down, and I'm just thinking, well, this is just great, right? And he sits down, and he's like big enough to be in my space already. And then then all of a sudden, they're sitting there laughing, and she looks outside, she says, I think that's Rick. I'll turn the tarmac. She starts hitting the window, literally. Rick! Hi, Rick! I'm going. I am not having a good time with this. I, I'm, just see, I'm just seeing who are these evil people that have come from hell. They're from hell! 
And, and then the plane starts to take off. And as it lifts up the front, you know, we just lifted off the, the, um, the runway. And, and all, he reached down and grabbed a bottle of whiskey. And he opened it up and he starts drinking. I'm thinking, you, you, you can't do that. You can't bring your own booze. You can order, but you can't bring your own booze. Somebody told me you can now, but I didn't, I did, you couldn't. Morally reprehensible. And everything in me wanted to push a little button. Ding, ding, lady. <laughs> booze, open. So I'm sitting there just famished. I mean, I am just freaking out inside. And I hear deep in my heart, I kid you not. I know this was God because I wouldn't have thought this. they're worth Jesus to God and my first reaction wasn't oh my first reaction was I'm glad they're worth something to somebody <laughs> I'm just being honest with you I wish I was more spiritual I'm just evil <laughs> so, blah, blah. so I said okay you know, I've been learning this stuff so I think okay I've got to put the face of Jesus I've got it. Jesus is a likeness of God, Imago Dei, and worth Jesus. The value of Jesus, Jesus is sitting next to me. So I'm thinking, okay, put the face of Jesus on him. So I turn to look. I'm thinking, oh, it doesn't look like Jesus. He looks like Satan. And he was cackling like a demon. But I kept working on it, I kept working on it. And within a few minutes, I looked over and said, hey, how you doing? And I started talking to him. And you know, as I, and here's what I thought. I thought, I've got, to, I've got to let them touch me. I've got to fall in love with them. I've got to see their, their, their dreams of God come true. I wonder what God sees in them. I wonder what his plan is for them. I wonder who they are. And as I began to cultivate those thoughts, I just started getting interested in them. I wasn't trying to preach to them. I wasn't going to, I mean, I just, wanted, I just wanted to fall in love with them. And as I listened, I found out he was a musician and ran a pizza joint in Chicago and she was really interesting and we were laughing and talking and after a while we got so comfortable he started telling me a joke and I started thinking, okay, what kind of joke? And then as he's going into the joke, it sounds like a really bad joke. And I just kept thinking, I hope it's not funny. 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 the punchline. It was so funny. <laughs> You're on your own on that whole deal. But what started to happen was, you know, after I'm talking to them and loving them and enjoying them, they started talking to me because they started getting interested in me and I didn't expect that. And they found out I was a preacher. Found out I was a preacher. He put the booze away, and he 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 got all tried to get all holy and you know not use cuss words because he was cussing every other word. And it was it was so obvious it was funny, and we laughed about it together. I said, hey, "Listen, guy, you're cool. You can cuss. I'm okay." And then we started talking about the person of Jesus and why I do what I do, and and I, they just leaned in and they're open up and they got really reflective and. And we're starting to come down on land. It was just a short flight. It was about an hour. I said, can I pray with you guys? And so I prayed with them and about their trip and about their journey in life and about their faith. And uh, the gal looked at me. She said, you know, she said, my, uh, my sister's a born-againer. So she, <laughs> so she called us. <laughs> my sister's a born-againer, but she's so mean. 
she's always jumping on me for everything about my life. She said, I, she said, you're so different. I said, no, I said, I'm not. I said, people just sometimes just try to force things. I said, this is what God is like. He really loves you like you are and welcomes you like you are. And when I got off that plane, I remember thinking, I never would have had a chance to write on their hearts had I not let God write them on mine. I wonder how many people God would love for you to change, love for you to impact their lives. But he can't because you're trying to talk to them to change them because you hate them like they are. You're trying to change them to make your life better. Not because you care about them. You're trying to make those kids act right because it makes your life better. Not because you actually value how they're acting and that you want them to be the best they can be. You want to change those people on the job because they, they just interrupt you and they, they talk about stuff that just makes you really mad and you just don't take that position. You don't say, hey, I can take that position and you just get all, all anal and weird. Don't you want to be like me and follow Jesus? <laughs> no, most people don't want to be like you. In fact, I would suggest this, that if you're not changing your world, it's because you're like you are. If nobody wants to lean into you, it's because nobody wants to lean into you. It's not because you're not amazingly gifted. In fact, most people that are amazingly gifted make us feel less. Sister Joseph Marie was the one that taught me the most about loving people, a little Catholic nun. She had the funkiest teeth. Ring! I mean, they were like double buck. They were triple buck. Buck to the tenth power buck I mean she could barely her lips barely covered the buck she wasn't that beautiful of a woman but oh my gosh she had lines of people around her everybody wanted to be around sister Joseph you know why because I would watch her and it would make me weep because when you were in front of her you were the most important person in the world. When you got in front of Sister Joseph Marie, you knew you mattered. Why don't people want to be around you? Because it's about you. You want to change the world? Let God write people on your hearts. Let it be about them. About Christ. Let's stand. I, my last two things I'll give you quick is one is, uh, the third one is, if you want to change the world, do the dailies well. <laughs> Value daily life. You remember Jesus? How many think Jesus had an important job to do? Right? He's 12 years old. He's all over it. I got to go do my father's business. His mom's going, yeah, well, I ain't going to work right now. <laughs> remember the story from Luke 2? And he's in the temple and doing the father's business and his mom goes, why did you mess with your dad and I? We took off, we thought you were with our relatives and this is just a messy deal. You just come home. And for the next 18 years, Jesus goes back to Nazareth, the daily. The thing about life is that it's so daily. And in the daily life of cutting down trees and carpentry that Jesus did and dealing with customers, irate ones, billing, the whole nine yards. Jesus in that everyday life. All those stories were the vignettes by which he brought the life-changing message to the world because daily life 
matters. And then the last one is be okay with small. Small. You know, when they were trying to all through history, we're trying to be bigger and build bigger and bigger and bigger bombs, bigger bombs. Let's build a bigger bomb. Let's build a really, really big bomb. And someone in the middle of all that said, you know what? I think maybe the biggest, the strongest, the most powerful is in the smallest. It's in the atom. The smallest unit. And and by going to the atom, they found the largest power. What if that's the way God is? What if you're God's atomic bombs? Blowing up here, blowing up there, changing the world, reflecting Jesus Christ. Maybe not quite, you know, working on some level that isn't always obvious. Because not only is God into small, but he's also into hiddenness. Think about him. He lives in us, and yet we, it's like he doesn't. You know, if, if, if I took that whole piano down there and I swallowed it in front of you, you know what you guys think? Wow. <laughs> right? How can I, and if I didn't get all kind of distended, I mean, if it just went in, you'd go, whoa. Because how can something so big fit in someplace so small? It can't be right or it's a miracle. I mean, how can Almighty God, the creator of the universe, actually make you his temple where he literally lives inside you and you not just melt? Worse than that, you don't even feel him. Talk about secret. Talk about hidden. He's really good at hiding in you. Almighty God, present in secret. It's like, it's like, that's why this, I think the CIA and the NSA and some of these organizations, they get secret. That A lot of their people that are movers and shakers and the ones that kind of make sure the world is politically going right is because they have invisible people. They have people out there that are supposedly engineers, but nobody knows that they're real. That's just a cover. They're not just engineers. They're CIA. Right? Or, or a kindergarten teacher is not really a kindergarten. You know, this, this, I mean, this is undercover people are powerful. Kindergarten cop. I mean, this is real stuff. <laughs> you remember Mission Impossible? How many you know that? If you've, man, Mission Impossible, based on true stories. <laughs> Life changes stuff. Right, and they get you know one of this. I remember one of the shows. They're all they all arrive. They pick this elite team, specially picked, really good people, amazing people, amazingly gifted, amazingly sharp, and brilliant people. And they put them in elevator repairman costumes. It's like Halloween. And they walk in this elevator repairman. Nobody knows that they're really Mission Impossible, <laughs> and that they're there on a mission from Mission Impossible. Right? Right? And so they come in. See, there's something powerful about being undercover. See, what, what I'm trying to say is, what if it's true? What if God has you on his mission? And, and, and those little children you're raising, <laughs> they think you're just a mom. <laughs> little do they know, you're on a mission from God. Oh, those people that you work with, those little children in kindergarten, you're the kindergarten teacher, and they think you're just a teacher. <laughs> they don't know inside that you go by a different, you walk to a different beat. Inside you got a song going on. Dun, dun, 
Change the world! Let's pray. Father, we are trusting you to help us realize that we can make a difference, that we can live in a way that matters, and that it's more about you than us, and it's more about those around us than us. Be glorified. Let your kingdom come. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Sanctuary Church. If you're in the Tulsa area, we invite you to attend one of our weekend services at 5 p.m. on Saturday, 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. on Sundays. And if you would like more information on who we are and what we're about here at Sanctuary or to give online, please visit our website at SanctuaryTulsa.com or you can download our mobile app from the App Store or Google Play. We hope you'll join us again next time. Have a great week.